Francesca Albanez, UN Special Rapporteur on the Situation of Human Rights in the Occupied Palestinian Territory. First, I want to thank you for joining us today. Of course, you're in New York to present your report to the General Assembly, but uh, since there's been a lot of developments, to say the least, in the occupied territories and in Israel. So I wanted first to ask you to maybe give us your description of what's been going on since October 7th. Probably the best description I can give is that what's unfolding under our watch is uh, a political and humanitarian catastrophe of epic proportions. I think that this is the only description that vaguely portrays what's happening on the ground. It's impossible, I think, to describe the pain and the suffering that Israelis are going through because of what happened to them, to hundreds of them on the, actually to thousands of them, because there are not only those who were killed, those who were taken hostage, but there is an entire population that was completely shaken. I think it's impossible to describe what the population of Gaza is undergoing right now. They've suffered already five deadly wars that had occurred during the period Israel had declared an unlawful blockade over the Gaza Strip and trapping 2.2 million people. And as of the 7th of October, they have been recklessly bombarded with an average of 6,000 bombs launched per week. And the situation is disastrous. There are already over half of the population in Gaza is displaced. A half a million is uh, sheltered in UNRWA schools. All schools have been targeted one way or another. Schools have been hit by the bombing. Hospitals have been hit by the bombing. And the point is, on top of this, there has been a tightening of the blockade because Israeli leaders, one way or another, are blaming and holding all Palestinians in Gaza responsible and are punishing all Palestinians in Gaza for what Hamas and other military groups have done. And uh, they have tightened the blockade, so there has been no food, water, medicines and fuel entering Gaza while people were being bombed. And there have been uh, over a dozen trucks allowed in in recent days, but this is really, as it has been described by people on the ground, a drop in the ocean. The humanitarian situation is beyond disaster. It was already difficult before the 6th of October, and now it's collapsing. You have hospitals that cannot provide assistance, there is no, no fuel, so I think that the UN need to upgrade their capacity to intervene right now. You spoke about five wars in recent history on, on Gaza, and you've been very outspoken about putting the current events in context. So why is that context important, given the magnitude of the attack that happened on October 7th? Look, I do agree with the Secretary General when he said the grievances of the Palestinian people, and I'm very aware of those, because, I mean, before being a special rapporteur, I'm someone who's engaged from an academic point of view with the question of Palestine, looking at what I call the human face of the tragedy that they have experienced as a people, Palestinian refugees. So I, I have a pretty specific understanding of the situation. 
But I do agree with the Secretary General, the grievances of the Palestinian people cannot justify what was done by armed groups against civilians. It was brutal, it was heinous, and must be condemned. At the same time, no, it, the context matters, matters a lot. And not only because in its claiming responsibility for what had happened, Hamas said this was in reaction to what had happened in the months and years or weeks prior to the 7th of October. But let alone this, the situation that the Palestinians were under before the 7th of October was appalling. And I often mention, during the 16 months I've been a special rapporteur, I've reported 61 Israelis have been killed, 460 Palestinians have been killed. The Israelis have been killed by Palestinian assailants. The Palestinians have been killed by Israeli soldiers and armed settlers. So you have and again, the context matters, because here we are not talking of a state fighting another state. We are talking of an occupying power. Israel is an occupying power vis-à-vis -vis the Palestinians. There is no independent and sovereign Palestinian state. And what emanated from Gaza doesn't represent the Palestinian people politically. So it has not been the state of Palestine attacking the state of Israel. And we can unpack it before. But what I want to say is that the occupation has been the vehicle to colonize, to brutalize, to arbitrarily arrest and detain, to carry out summary execution against the Palestinian people. How do you expect, how does anyone expect that such a situation, which is in itself violent, it's structurally violent, and is also enforced through what I call eruptive violence, meaning the attacks, the military incursions on Palestinian towns and villages by soldiers and settlers, also through methodical military assaults on Gaza. Because we have also had preventive strikes against Gaza. So Gaza has been bombed when there was no attack emanating from the Gaza Strip. Has the international community ever stopped this protracted illegality? No, this is why I keep on saying the international community has a huge, huge responsibility in the catastrophe that is now unfolding. I want to take advantage of your expertise and maybe ask about a concept that's been you know, said over and over about states' rights to defend themselves. What does that mean exactly? And what are the confines of that? In international law, there is the right of self-defense as recognized to all states. So the right that Israel has invoked in international law is rooted in Article 51 of the UN Charter, which recognizes the right to individual and collective self-defense when an armed attack occurs against a member state of the United Nations. And this Self-defense can be exercised within certain limits. The first limit is in the right itself, that is to be proportional and necessary. What does it mean? Because it includes the use of force. So the use of force is justified to repel the attack. So there was an incursion in Israeli territory that resulted in the killing and brutalization of Israeli civilians. So that incursion had to be repelled. Once the incursion was repelled, then again, there were the rockets. So measures have to be taken 
to stop the rockets. So these are all legitimate military targets. However, there is a condition in Article 51 until the Security Council has taken the measures necessary to restore uh, or to maintain international peace and security. So here there is a responsibility of the Security Council to step up and ensure that peace and security is maintained. And clearly this is failing because there is no ceasefire that has been declared. And so what Israel is doing is considered by some member states legitimate self-defense, which is not. Because how can it be self-defense, the bombing, the carpet bombing of an entire population under a very opaque and vague objective, eradicating Hamas? If you say eradicating or destroying Hamas military capability, I understand, because it's a very specific concept, but what does eradicating Hamas mean? Because Hamas is a political reality, like it or not. You don't need to be a sympathizer with a political movement like Hamas to recognize that it's very vague and might justify the killing of civilians as it's happening. And in any case, even if there was a right to self-defense that translated, that legitimized the military aggression that Israel has launched against the entire people in Gaza, it would have to respect the principle of distinction, so no civilians have to be targeted. And when there is an indiscriminate targeting, you target civilians. Principle of proportionality and precaution. So these are all the limits that the use of force should abide by. And none of it is being observed, and none of it is being upheld. In that same vein, the other side might say, you know, that there's a right to resistance. So is that a right that international law protects? And also, what are the confines to that principle? Yes, in international law, there is a recognition of the right to resist, and it's closely related to the right of self-determination. So it's widely recognized that the right of self-determination that arises in situation of colonial domination, foreign occupation or racist regimes that deny a segment of the population political participation. So in this context, the people who have the right of self-determination can resist. But resistance has rules, has limits, and they are the same that apply to any, we would say, warring parties. So. Each actor engaging as part of the resistance is, becomes responsible for the choice of uh, actions and methods of engagement. And killing civilians is never, is never permitted under international law. This is recognized in international law, but there is a specific resolution, the 3236 of the UN General Assembly, and paragraph 5 specifically refers, in a way, without calling it right to resist, it refers to the right of the Palestinians to regain their rights. Very important, though, is the context. The right to resist has been formulated and referred to in the context of decolonization, and the Palestinians are still there. They are still trying to set themselves free from Israel's settler colonial occupation in the occupied Palestinian territory. This is what my mandate covers. At the same time, we are in another political landscape. And after the 9-11, there is even less capacity to tolerate the right to resist. So it's very difficult to, I mean, I mean, this is one of the issues that I often 
get harsh questions about how can you claim that there is this right. I mean, in international law, there is this right, like it or not. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a difficult one. I wanted to ask you about your warnings for dehumanizing the Palestinian population in Gaza. You've said this repeatedly over the past couple of weeks, especially. How do you see this being manifested? And in your opinion, why is this so dangerous? I think we have uh, gone beyond the mere risk for a long time now because the figures of how many Palestinians had been killed even before the 7th of October speak volume to the humanization of the Palestinians. And there is, uh, the Commission of Inquiry has uh, written a very enlightening report in this respect because they have looked at the use of force and excessive use of force that Israel deploys against the Palestinians. And there is a dehumanization that is already ingrained in the way Palestinians are seen. And I've felt, even before the 7th of October, that somewhat this was amplified in Western discourse. Now we have reached an unprecedented level of dehumanization. And how does it manifest? It manifests in the statements of various Israeli political leaders who have referred to the Palestinians as human animals, as uh, deserving the treatment they are receiving, because they are all responsible of what Hamas is doing. Otherwise, they would have revolted against Hamas, as if it hadn't happened, however. And the expression that even a moderate leader, as uh, President Herzog in Israel used, is that Israel will break their backbone. Naftali Bennett has inferred that there are no civilians in Gaza, that even babies become a legitimate target. How can it be? How can it be? How can you hold a newborn responsible? How can you hold a child responsible, but a newborn? So the dehumanization is terrifying. I hear international scholars, there are hundreds of scholars who have denounced the genocidal calls that are dominant in Israel at this point, and I'm really, really worried. I mean, I share their concerns, and the fears of people already killed in Gaza confirm that their fear is real. And the dehumanization also happens in the way, particularly Western media, portray what's going on, because it's either not presented at all, or it's highly, highly distorted, and I find it so irresponsible, so unprofessional. Uh, you spoke earlier about the responsibility of the international community, and you've seen that there are a lot of diplomatic movements going on to try to maybe stem the issue or try to uh, relieve the situation in Gaza. How would you assess the response so far? It's irresponsible. It's really irresponsible. Because what the international community had an opportunity to do for once, was to show support to both the Israeli and Palestinian people. It was horrific what the Israelis have suffered on, as of the 7th of October. And at the same time, at the same time, the international community missed the opportunity to act wisely and even-handedly vis-a-vis both in a way that could be seen as leading to peace. And instead, they have most of them. And I would say Western countries have, with a few exceptions, rallied around Israel 
basically supporting what Israel is doing as self-defense. Because yes, they also say, yeah, but what Israel is doing, uh, what Israel does should be in line with international law. Yeah, but it's not. It's not. It's not. So the moment it's not, you intervene. And you intervene in concrete ways, calling for a ceasefire, rescuing the population who's been affected, ensuring all necessary humanitarian aid to get in, and ensuring a protective presence, creating a buffer between the Palestinians and the Israelis, because while hostilities are ongoing in Gaza, in the West Bank, nearly 100 Palestinians have been killed. 5,000 of them have been arrested just in the last few weeks. So even away from hostilities, Palestinians are being killed. And I don't hear consternation. I don't hear condemnation. I don't hear really a powerful leadership at this moment. I think that the Secretary General has been very courageous yesterday in using the words he used on top of what he has done in the past weeks. I was not particularly happy with the delay in asking for a ceasefire, but I've seen that he's done it and he's really tried to be there for everyone who's suffering at the moment. And even the way Western countries have responded to this shows the, the selective moral outrage that they have and the double morality that they are using. At the same time, while I, I often point at responsibilities of the West, I'm also asking, where is the rest? And again, I've seen Arab countries trying to resist Western pressure there is a huge mobilization in the Arab world in solidarity with the Palestinians. At the same time, I want to say to those in the Arab world, you can stand in solidarity with the Palestinian and still and still condemn the atrocities that Hamas has committed. This is necessary. This is necessary and imperative. And at the same time, this doesn't take away the legitimacy of asking for the respect of the rights of the Palestinian people, because these are the ones systematically denied and violated in the occupied Palestinian territory and beyond. As the situation continues to escalate, I wanted to hear from you, what is your biggest fear now? Many more people are going to die in Palestine, in the occupied Palestinian territory, for sure, for sure. This is not going to stop and genocidal intents have to be addressed. I really fear for what the Palestinians are going to face. And I also fear for the future of these two people. I feel for their present, but I also fear for the future, for the Palestinians and the Israelis, and how are they going to live in that land with all what is happening, if it remains unaddressed. I also fear for the people in the region, because it's not going. this is not going to to stop at uh, Israel and the occupied Palestinian territory if it continues, I'm afraid, and if Western countries continue to act with bias.